Welcome to the OA Light Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep the special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Lori. Hi, I'm Lori. I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. Hi, Lori. And it's so good to be here. I wanted to say congratulations to the two birthday people. Um, how amazing. Um, however amount of time you have is awesome. You know. Um, so, dates and, and years. Okay, so <laughs> I started in program. I came in in 1999. I was 19 years old. So, um, all I knew is that I couldn't stop eating. Um, before I stepped into the rooms, um, I didn't know about program, and I and I didn't know what to do. My mind wouldn't stop, and I couldn't stop throwing up, and I couldn't stop eating. And I thought, maybe if I go to therapy, maybe somebody can talk to me about this. I went to therapy, and the um, therapist said, how's your life? I said, fine. How's your family? I said, fine. He said, how's school? Fine. He said, why are you here? said, I can't stop eating. And he pulled out the number for OA. And that was the first seed that was planted. And then, um, like a month later, I had the number, you know, in my purse. And a month later, I thought everything was okay at that point. I was able to control my food, diet, do whatever what I was doing. And then, um, inevitably, I was throwing up again, and then I, for the first time, confided in a friend who um, was dating a guy whose father was a therapist, and I told them, and he said, have you heard of this program called OA? And so it was the second seed, and then I went to my first meeting in Santa Monica. Um, when I walked in the door, um, it was a women's stag, and I felt at home. I heard things that I didn't hear other people talk about, but was in my head, and I knew I belonged. It was where I belonged, and um, and I never stopped coming back. Um, but I did I did have a relapse, so I'll talk about that a little bit after I go into what happened when I went to program um, for the at first. When I went to program for a long time, you know, I lived in Santa Monica, where meetings are so easy to get to. So I would go to one, to two, three meetings in a day. I would go to many meetings. I would get a sponsor, and then I'd lose a sponsor. I'd do a few steps, and then I'd, um, you know, turn them over, and then I would have to start again because I'd start a new sponsor. Or, or um, I was, you know, so, and then I would have friends who were in programs, so we would go hang out. My life was about program. And then, um, and it, and it was, when I look back at that time period of my life, you know, I was in my 20s. Um, things looked very different. I I had, like, an internship. I lived at home. The, the gym was two blocks away. I could walk there every other day and work out. And so I was able to follow a food plan, work with a sponsor, and get what I needed out of program. And then I decided to go to grad school. And my whole life turned around. I went to Arizona. Meetings were not every day. Meetings were not easy to get to. Um, a lot of the meetings were how. So, you know, for a while I tried and dabbled in how. And I felt like for a while my food would be okay. And so seemingly, but I would go back to my same life. So I would 
pick friends who were emotionally unavailable. I'd pick um, relationships that were emotionally unavailable. And then I would constantly want, oh, let me see if somehow I can fix it or make it better. Or somehow, if, as somebody else said, if, if blank happened, my life would be perfect. And, you know, if the food was in order and the weight was down, then it would be, oh, if the relationship was working, then it would be perfect. And I would obsess about something else. I would find something new to obsess about. And I would also use um, alcohol to soothe the, calm the, the head that wouldn't stop. Um, and so when I was in Arizona, the stress went way, level went way up. And then I was using so many different things that suddenly I couldn't stop. And I started eating again out of control. Um, and for me, it just started with, you know, I was trying to do how and working on their food plan. And um, I had a sponsor, but then the sponsor dropped me. And then, you know, just, just different things happened in a short period of time. And suddenly the food seemed to be okay. And so then I... I started eating more and more, and then I just couldn't stop. And for the period of time that I was in relapse, I still went to meetings. Um, a lot of them were AA because I felt uncomfortable going to AA, but I went to meetings, and even though I went, I wouldn't talk to anybody. I'd walk in, I'd walk out, and then I would go eat. So it was like the hour of the meeting was a time away from food, and then I would go eat all day, and I wouldn't shower. I wouldn't. Um, I would sleep many, many hours. I would go to certain things I had to go to to show up, but I barely did whatever it was. Um, and I started wearing a lot of sweats and big t-shirts and just not caring. Things didn't matter anymore. Um, and then during that time, I started to talk to more people. You know, people were saying, oh, stay after the meeting, or let's do fellowship, or let's talk. Or um, It started things started to just shift where I was talking to a therapist and talking to other people. And suddenly it was like, oh, if I go to a meeting and I talk to somebody, I feel better. Instead of just going to a meeting and leaving and like saying, oh, I went to a meeting. Everything's fine. I went to a meeting, right? I would have to connect with a person. And if I didn't connect with them at the meeting, then maybe I would make a phone call and talk to them. And I started to change everything in my life, not just the food. And so I had to start to just one thing at a time, you know, and it was not drinking, not dating, not eating, let's say, something specific. Or even for a while, because I was so far in relapse and gained a lot of weight, I, at that point, I didn't care if all I did was eat three meals a day and they were desserts. That's all I could do. Like, that's how bottom barrel I was and at that time it was better than eating all day every hour of the day so that's what I started with I was like that's all I can do then that's all I can do and I got a sponsor who was also an Al-Anon and a very loving person and they helped me through the steps from 1 to 12 completely which made a huge difference because I had done my you know my ninth step my tenth step every single step which is what, to really get true recovery, I believe that I have to do steps 1 through 12 completely. Um, and once I did all of them, it's like I could see where I was doing the same thing over and over again and where it wasn't working, and I had to change. And so 
as I slowly started to change my relationships and the people I hung out with, I started hanging out with people who loved me. It wasn't people who were running from me and I was following them. Okay, let me see you. It was people who loved me and told me they loved me and people who cared about me and would be like, oh, we're, you know, why are you late? What happened? You know, they'd ask about me. Um, and it wasn't just about them talking about their life. It was like we would share the experience. Um, and then I started to care about myself because they were caring about me. So it changed the way I thought about myself. And then I was able... Um, to get some time in program, I got about um, a, a couple of years without binging. That was the big thing at that time that I couldn't stop doing. That put me into the relapse. And when I stopped um, binging for a couple of years, I was able to start dating. And I started dating people who I wasn't completely attracted to because I was picking the wrong people. My picker was off. And I could tell you exactly who in the room I would pick. It would be like the person with the motorcycle and the leather jacket, and he looked cool, or he looked a certain way, or whatever it was. And I had to stop, like, stop my focus on that and just focus on people and, and the person. And so I would date people that I didn't know if it was going to work out, but I would just try it because it wasn't about looking cool or um, being with someone emotionally unavailable. It was changing what I was doing. And um, so then I was able to meet my husband, who I've been with now for um, 17 years. And we've had two children. And I've been in the program the whole time. And I was able to go through two pregnancies staying abstinent. I was able to call my sponsor about it, deal with it. I mean, it's emotionally it's up and down and there's so many different things that happen but I was able to work through it in this program um, about 10 years ago my mother passed away and I was able to work through that in program I had people I would call about my mom and what was happening because she was in the hospital for a long time in and out of hospitals um, and my mom was a person I complained about probably the most when I first walked in the program because there was so much stress at home, and I always thought it was her. You know, she's the one who made it this way. And I learned how to be similar to my mom. And we would, we would have arguments, like we would go back and forth for hours about the same thing over and over because that's what I was taught. That's how I was taught to communicate. And in program, I learned I don't have to communicate that way. Um, I remember having this phone call with my mom, um, when I started to change how I interacted with my parents, um, I had my bike. I had this bike because in Arizona we rode bikes everywhere. And my bike was stolen, and I was really upset about it. So I called my parents. And my mom's first reaction was, well, how did you lock it up? Did you lock it up right? Why was your bike stolen? You, you sure you locked it up right? What did you do wrong to make this bike get stolen? She didn't say it like that, but she just said, your, this is your fault. Your bike got stolen. And I said, you know what? I don't want to talk about this with you anymore. And I hung up the phone. And that was the first time I was able to stop the, that type of conversation because all it would do is make me feel, me, I would take it on and feel bad. And someone in program would say, well, it wasn't, it happened. It was an accident. You didn't try to get your bike stolen. It was an accident. But my parents would take it a different way. And I would spin it, and I would normally not hang up the phone, have a conversation for like an hour, and go and eat, 
and binge and then purge. That's what I would do. But I stopped the conversation. I hung up the phone. My parents called back again. Immediately, my mom started in. Your bike got stolen. What happened? I said, I don't want to talk about this anymore. If you want to talk about something else, I'm here. But if not, let's just hang up. And the, there was nothing on the phone. It was empty, you know. I sat there with, I said, okay, I'll talk to you later. Bye. And we hung up. And it was the first time it was like, wow, I made a change. And everything in my life had to change. Otherwise, I was going to live the same way. Um, so with my relationship, you know, so when my mother passed, I was able to apologize to her and have a good relationship with her before she did um, so that I could move on, so that I could not have to relive all the wrongs that happened before. It was like I could, um, you know, mend our relationship, you know, and now with my father, it's a different relationship that we have as well. We talk about things more than I ever used to. Um, And so then the same when I look at my relationship with my husband, I have to work through that on a regular basis. Um, He's not perfect at communicating, and, and I'm not either. And so I have a sponsor who I talk to all the time about our communication and what's going on. And I have to see, but do the four step on it. And I have to do an inventory on it. I have to look at what's my part. What did I do to make this happen? Or what didn't I do? What's not my part? Because I always thought everything was my fault. No matter what, I was the one who was wrong. I did it wrong. And now I don't see it that way. I, I had to work through that and know, wow, you know, um, maybe he's just having a bad day, you know, or maybe, you know, it's not working out the way it's supposed to and we need to talk about it. And I do that also with with my kids and I'm happy to say that they're growing up, you know, in a healthy environment where people are talking about things and we communicate and rather than just being angry and yelling at each other and everything's wrong. And then there's also um, with my job. Um, I'm a, a teacher. I've switched jobs a lot, but I finally come to the conclusion that my job that I'm meant to do is teaching. And I've had jobs where it was really tough because um, there was a, like really high expectations and I couldn't meet them and it, it just it wasn't working and I got laid off or I got fired or however it turned out. And um, we had a period of time with... Um, the recession and everything being difficult with money. We had a period of time where both of us were barely working, you know, struggling to get by. And I had to let a lot of that go um, and see how God could work in my life. Like, how is this going to help me? You know, how can I live through this and just be okay with how my life is? Um, and I did a lot of complaining in this program and I, I, the other day, I was a couple weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast. Um, it was on The Promises, and a voice came on of someone who's passed away in program. And I was like, whoa. And it was, um, her name was Sandy, um, and I used to complain to her over and over again about how hard it was for me to deal with the money issues because I wasn't working and my husband wasn't working and how are we going to deal with this? And after two years, she said to me, Lori, you've been complaining about this for two years. I don't think it's going to change. What are you going to do now? And I was like, oh, my gosh, she's right. (laughs) I have to trust and be in where I'm at rather than complaining and thinking, oh, God, it's going to change, it's going to change. 
Um, and so I had to accept where we're at, look at the positives, and, and, and move on, and live the best I could with whatever our means were. Um, and that's where, you know, God comes in. Um, when I first got into program, I kind of didn't really believe there was a God. It kind of, you know, he was there, but, and, you know, I just didn't really trust because bad things still happened. I didn't really trust in God. And so I, um, when I read the, the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions for OA, it talks about God being the people in the program. And so that's, that was how I believed in God. I would come to a meeting, I would talk to people in program, and I would understand more about what God was saying through people. And then I also um, believed in God through nature as well. Like when I'm outside in nature and I see the beauty of nature and a butterfly goes by or something happens that isn't in my control and I see it, and it makes me think, okay, wow, that's God. That's the beauty of life without me pushing my way into it or being in control. Um, and so now I do prayers every day um, on the way to work in my car. And then in the last year, um, I was finding that I was still kind of complaining about certain things, having trouble with um, seeing the way things were. And also getting out of my head. Um, I can just keep running in my head everything that's going on in the future, everything that's going on in the past, what happened, an argument. I would think about an argument for weeks and go through it in my mind about what happened, how we said, what I could have said, what I should have said. And then I started a year ago doing meditation. Um, and a, my sponsor recommended a certain website to go to. And... At first, it was really hard because for me, meditation, I thought in my head was where you have to be quiet and you have to sit there and you have to turn your mind off. And I couldn't really do that. My mind doesn't really stop. And this meditation talks about mindfulness and that part of your meditation can be your mind going, but you train it to go to the silence. And then it'll come back to the thought and then you go back to the silence. And... When I was able to do more and more time with the meditation, I mean, at first, I could, if I just did five minutes, I was happy. I did something. Um, and then five minutes turned into 10, 15, 20, 30. And um, the mindful meditation talks about being mindful in our lives. Because I would talk about how my life was so busy. I was so busy. Aren't we all just so busy? I mean, we get in the car, we run to this, we run to that, we go to our job, we get home, then we have at least 50 things to do at home, and then we go to sleep and we start all over again. But this talks about not seeing it as 100 things to do and 100 things going on, but if I'm more in the moment, even if it is just a little bit, like I take that deep breath and I focus on my breath and I'm in the moment, then my life gets less busy. Even though I might be doing a lot of things, if I'm taking those moments, I'm not replaying everything over and over again. I'm more mindful. I'm more in the moment. Um, and that has changed the way I see sometimes what's going on in my life right now. Because I'm here right now. I'm not in what happened yesterday with, with something that I didn't like. I'm here right now. And I can be in this moment thinking about nothing, but 
that actually relaxes me and makes me, you know, have just feel feel more or just just be okay with what's going on right now. Um, and so with the so that leads me to my job now with teaching. Um, I had an opportunity last year where um, I was there was a job that was available where I could um, I call it life coaching. It's um, working with high school and middle school students to help them with their goals and their life. And I jumped. I was like, oh, me, I'll take that. And so I, I was doing that part-time with teaching, part-time. And that has been the biggest service I could possibly do because not only do I need to be mindful and be in that moment with that student so that I can really hear what they need and ask them questions that are pertinent to what's going on with them. But it also is just a freeing job. It's, it's, it's for me, um, not that it's easy, but it comes naturally to me and it feels good. And it's so, it, for a long time, I had jobs and struggled getting jobs where I felt like I was really having fun. You know, I would go to work and just be like stressed all the time because there was too much going on and this I actually go to work smiling and laughing and I'm excited to go and to hear what the students have to say and to be there for them and the results are phenomenal and that's that's where I'm just amazed where these students are doing things that they didn't do before that they decided to do it but I was their sounding board I was there to listen and to help them figure out what they wanted to do um, and, you know, what's, what's so amazing about this program is that, yeah, I'm not binging anymore. I'm eating properly. I wear the same size I've worn for many years, and my clothes get old, and I throw them away. I've thrown away clothes that I just don't, I don't wear anymore, but also that the ones that don't fit have, have gone from my closet, but I fit the same size. I don't buy clothes that are too small and hope, you know what, next week I'm going to fit into this. I just, I buy the clothes that fit, and I do things healthy. I try to choose healthy foods. I try to um, exercise, and I try to make phone calls and listen to podcasts and do meetings and all that stuff. And when I think about what what's in my life today, you know, um, I... I had a huge event happen. My daughter just got bat mitzvah, and I was so excited to have people from program sitting with me. You know, I had my sponsor sitting next to me. I had other program people there, and it was just, I've known them for so long, and these are my really, really close friends, and one of my really close friends also decided to help me out, and she would like, she was helping, like, kind of be a party planner and work on the party so that I didn't have to and that's to me it's like what a gift that I have people in program for that are my friends or even not friends who are willing to listen to me and who are willing to help me with my life um, without necessarily expecting something from me and I think that's the amazing thing about program so definitely keep coming back um, and I it's also a program over time that helps you over time, I think. I mean, I always wanted everything now. Like, okay, so i got to lose the weight now. 
the number on the scale has to go down or, oh, I have to get married now. No, now, you know, but it's not in my hands. I have to trust God because that's out of my control of when those outside things are going to happen for me. But that trust that maybe the results will be better later and I don't even know what they are, like the promises say. And if I stay here long enough, they will, that those promises will come true. But I have to be here. I have to do the tools, take the steps, work with a sponsor, um, and stay in program. Thanks. So I think we have time for questions. And Laura, you can just repeat the question. Okay. Okay, so what's my abstinence now, and how has it changed while I was in program? So um, after my relapse, and basically at that time, my my abstinence was just you know trying to do three meals, whatever I could make those meals, and now it's it's about hunger. I still have you know, about three meals um, and some snacks. But it's really about listening to my body and if I'm hungry, which is really hard sometimes because sometimes my mind says I'm hungry when I'm not. And so I have to know when my body's hungry. And what's become more difficult is that suddenly I'm less hungry because of, I want to say because of my age. I'm starting to get older, so my body doesn't want to eat as much. And so I have to be even more aware of what my body's telling me and to really listen and to not, to not trust the voices in my head without hearing my stomach feel hungry. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. When you talked about um, the experience of uh, a woman in program, you said, well, nothing's going to change. What are you going to do differently? How are you going to change? What did you do differently that moved you on the path to get your new job? Okay, so um, I looked, oh, what did I do differently to get on the path of the new job? I had to, first of all, reevaluate the job. Is this job even for me? Is this what I really want to do? Am I supposed to be a teacher? Um, And I had to first think about that. And then I had to... Be available to accept something that might not be what I thought it should be. So what happened was after I had two jobs that paid well, that were full-time, that were certain type of job, and I had to leave those, a part-time job came up. And at first, my instinct was not to take it. And then, you know, I talked it over with my husband, and he said, why don't you take this, and maybe this will lead you to something in the next year. And so when I did that, that particular job happened to be a better fit for me and then I but I didn't find that out until I was able to be willing to try it and see what happened and so that's that's how it, it changed but I also applied to a lot of jobs I didn't just sit and wait for a job to pop into my lap I went online every day and I applied for many different jobs even if I didn't know if they would work out or how they would be and then the one that became available was the one that wasn't quite the perfect fit, but I was willing to try it anyway. 
say is the thing that's been most critical to maintaining your abstinence? Okay, so what has been the most critical to maintaining my abstinence? There's a few things that I feel are critical. I don't think there's just one thing. Um, the few things are making phone calls. And for me, I'm e it's easy for me to make phone calls. For somebody else, it might be easy for them to pick up the pen and paper. So it depends on what, what you're able to do. Um, but for me, it's making the phone calls. If someone says to pick up the pen and paper, I pick up, the, or, or typing or typing up something. I'll, sometimes I'll send emails. When something's off at work, I'll shoot an email to somebody and then maybe get feedback later just so that I have that moment to think rather than to quickly grab food. It's like to do certain things before I go to quickly. My first instinct is to grab the food. My first instinct, if somebody's rude to me, is to be rude back. But I have to stop for a minute. I have to stop, and I have to say, okay, wait a minute. What do I need to do in this situation? And then the same with for the abstinence as well. It's like, so I make the phone calls. I go to the meetings. I might do some writing. I might email somebody. Um, and... I have to be aware of what's going on and to also make really positive choices. So I also, when I shop for food, I shop for healthy food and put that in my fridge. Um, I package up food that I need to eat in a smaller quantity, things that are maybe higher calorie, things that I might eat more if I was upset. I might need to I might package those up. Um, and then it's also thinking about what, like, what do I need today to take care of myself? If I'm not taking care of myself, my first instinct is to go straight to the food. Because that takes care of me. That makes me feel better. But if, if I take uh, some time to take care of myself, and to talk to people in program and do other things, then the food becomes less important. Okay.